Welcome to the Wiki Hospitals podcast series, where people creating new and innovative ways to solve healthcare's most pressing problems are interviewed. The more you know, the better choices you can make. Enjoy the show. I'd like to introduce Kanal Kalro, co-founder of Eugene and serial founder of many other startups and also a repeated entrepreneur in residence. Kanal, welcome to Wiki Hospitals. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Now, you've got a very, very interesting history, Kanal. Can we just start at the beginning? Sure. You actually have um, a science background. You've got a a degree and then a postgraduate in science from Indiana in America. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so it's technically science, but it's really an information system, so it's more of a technology background. It's a Master of Science in Technology. Boy, that, my undergraduate was actually in accounting and finance, so more for, it started off in business and then ended up in technology. Yeah, that's kind of how I got there. Your first startup was called Cosimeter? Uh, yeah, it's like one of the worst things I've ever done. That's um, fine. So it was uh, a couple of years after college uh, I had uh, gone and done consulting for a couple of years, hated my life, so I decided I wanted to change and I wanted to work on something that actually mattered to me. I decided that I wanted to start a company and so I applied to a program called Startup Chile in South America. Okay. I got in and I packed up and I moved and that was my first business, which is Cosmo Vista, which is a travel startup. It was one of the worst ideas I've ever possibly had. Um, it was that 20 minute period where daily deals were popular kind of like yeah. Groupon style sure. deals sure. Yeah. I got mine in in the 19th minute <laughs> it was basically travel deals in South America uh, as actually eco travel deals in South America for that matter it just didn't work for a whole variety of reasons including the fact that trying to get someone to buy something that's travel in a different continent on a daily deals model is just ludicrous as a concept yeah I learned a lot and I obviously like took all those learnings and started my next company called Outtrip which is also in travel. This time, obviously, one of the biggest things I learned was never start a company by yourself. Our trip and I had two co-founders because I had learned my lesson the first time. It's like, this is a very, very hard and difficult journey that it's, it's very, very difficult to do alone. Um, you need help. You can't have all the skills that your business needs. Sure. So yeah, I learned that. Ran our trip for a few years. I actually randomly moved to Australia for our trip. I was living in Chile and we were just applying to accelerate programs everywhere. Applied to one in Melbourne. Uh, it's called Angicube. My co-founder happened to be here for a wedding and she was like, oh, you'd love Melbourne. Great coffee, great wine. I'm like, mm, I'm convinced. And we just applied to an accelerator program and we got a call back, uh, had an interview. Co-founder came in for a pitch. A week later, I was on a flight here. And Outtripping was like a blog? Was it actually people talking about their own travel experience? Oh, we actually had a few different products. Um, right. So basically, you could come to our website, tell us where you're going to go and what kind of stuff you're into. And then travel experts would pitch you ideas for your trip and you'd pick your favorite one and build out a full-on itinerary. But we had a bunch of different products. Core premise of everything was personalized recommendations and travel. So we wanted to help people have more real, authentic experiences around the world. And then the next two jobs you had were entrepreneur in residence, both at uh, Angel Cube and here in Inspire 9, yes? Yeah, that's right. So I was entrepreneur in residence for a couple of years, even when I was running uh, our trip in, at Angel Cube. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, uh, Angel Cube was one of the first accelerator programs in, in Melbourne. Oh, it was the first in Melbourne, one of the first in Australia. Having new entrepreneurs come in where you actually have all this knowledge that you've 
learned so quickly over the past couple of years yeah. that you can kind of share. And I thought that was very valuable to do. And it's important to do because so many people helped me along my path that it's important to help other people along yeah. their path too. Absolutely. Now, tell us a little bit about Eugene, your latest company. Yeah. So after Atropin, I took a couple of years off and I put off in quotes because I essentially did spend a lot of my time doing other things. Off in the sense that I wasn't working a crazy, crazy amount of hours anymore. I wanted to figure out what I wanted to work on next. And one of the biggest reasons why we shut down Atropin was because it was growing in a direction that we didn't want to. And I felt that with all of the skills that I had learned over the past few years, I could do so much more and create so much more impact. And so I started exploring the world of health. After Atropin, I decided that I want to do something that matters, not just to me, but in the grander scheme of things. Also, I wanted to work in health. I spent some time in India exploring some of the basic systemic issues, counterfeit medication issues, and of course, um, untrustworthy doctor issues and stuff like that. I spent a lot of time in the developed world in New York and here uh, exploring what some of the um, issues are. started looking at genetics because we don't have as many basic systemic issues like we do in the developing world in healthcare. So I started looking at what's happening in the future of healthcare. And genetics was very interesting to me. Eugene actually came about, it's been an evolution. There's never been an aha moment. And I was exploring my own genetics, sort of, you know, did a genetics test. And, and a lot of the results and reports that I was looking at basically said that, hey, we estimate that you have, let's say, five times higher risk of coronary artery disease, which runs in my family, so it's not surprising. It also put a disclaimer saying that we can't actually be sure if this assessment is accurate because uh, we've compared you to a Caucasian data set and it may not apply. And I was thinking to myself, that's a bit curious because I'm ethnically Indian and there's 1.2 billion of us. So surely there's some data set that you can compare me to that might be accurate. So that sparked a bunch of investigation on my end. I started asking uh, researchers, academics, clinical researchers, and anyone and everyone in the field that would talk to me, asking them, hey, is this a problem? Uh, how come isn't that a bit weird I started to realize that that's just like the tip of the iceberg it goes so much more deeper this diversity gap exists and it goes so much more deeper in terms of it being a problem than just simply you know someone's ability to tell me accurately what my risk is of a certain condition or disease you're saying in terms of the different races have different tendencies also saying the data is not collected in many other non-western races so there is a diversity gap uh, so right now 82% of global genome wide association studies done on data of primarily Caucasian. So 82%, that's ridiculous. Uh, it, five years ago, that was 96. Wow. Um, yeah. Know that. And that's 17%. So right now, 82% and, uh, is uh, on Caucasian uh, people, and, well, data sets that are primarily sure. Caucasian. Uh, 17% is data that's primarily Chinese and Japanese. That leaves 1% for the rest of the world, which includes <laughs> India, most of Asia, Africa, Latin America, it's sizable population sure. group. So that became a pretty clear indicator of that's a huge problem. At that point, I was like, okay, so what's the big deal? Is the only thing that they can tell me of what my risk levels are? Because at the end of the day, that's not great, but it's not the end of the world. But that was not just the case. The research is used to set regulatory standards. When the research data is skewed, so is the resulting. Okay, so just to explain that to people, so when you get medical treatments... It tends to be based on clinical guidelines that are drawn up by medical groups. And what you're saying is that the data that they're getting is skewed towards one race only. So therefore, the the treatments aren't necessarily going to be effective for a large percentage of the population that are being treated. Yeah, and, you know, we already know that health 
inequities exist and they're pretty clear. Yes. Um, so a really good example of how this played out was uh, there's this drug on the market, Plavix, which is yes. for coronary artery disease. Yeah. Um, it's only been in recent years where they had to issue a disclaimer that if you are of Asian descent or if you're a Pacific Islander, you have to get tested for a particular gene that will, that will help you understand whether or not this drug is going to work. Um, and that genetic variant exists in 50% of Asian population groups. Wow. So and the Plavix is an anticoagulant, isn't it? Yeah. So it's, it's probably quite commonly prescribed. Correct. And it was on the market for many years before someone figured out that it didn't work on 50%. Well, that's terrible. Yeah. Okay. And that's because Asians, uh, on average, have uh, this particular genetic variant that essentially yeah. renders this drug useless at 50% rates, whereas that genetic variant is a lot less common uh, in Caucasian graphics. Yeah. I have to say, you know, the health industry does know that there are enormous variations among the races. Just when you see people go through treatments, behind the scenes we know after theatre, many of the people left very slow to recover are Asian People with red hair feel more pain. And we all we all know that the, even just the way people react to treatments yeah. in the health industry it varies, and often according to their genetic background. But it's never been codified or classified or discussed. I'm not out here to you know, hey, you're sure. doing everything wrong. The thing is that I totally understand why doctors would be reticent to talk about race. I can understand why it makes doctors uncomfortable. Doctors are human. We're all uncomfortable sure. talking about race in general, especially in this incredibly charged atmosphere that we currently live in. Um, and so I get that. And I get that doctors wouldn't necessarily want to treat patients differently based on their race. But the reality is that racial differences play a role in risk of certain types of diseases. If we don't talk about it, if we don't address it, then it's actually just going to result in worse health outcomes for the patients you're treating. Yeah. I understand it's uncomfortable, but lots of things in life are uncomfortable, but we still do them. Um, yeah, I think it's just time we start addressing it. So there's a data gap, obviously, okay. as well. So it's not just a, yeah, it's, it's a cultural and data gap. Can I just ask, what was your first exposure to the health industry? Was it starting up Eugene Company? Or is this something else that's exposed to the health industry and made you think, hmm, we could do things a bit better? One of the underlying reasons why after our trip and I decided that I wanted to work in healthcare was that about five years ago, my dad suddenly passed away. He had a heart attack and a stroke. He was pretty young. It's not like, you know, that he wasn't treated well. It's just that it seemed ridiculous for it to happen at such an early age. He was 67. That essentially highlighted to me the, the, the gap in outcomes because I have friends who've got parents that live on till they're 95, have had multiple strokes, and they continue on. And yet, that was not the case for my yeah, dad. And sure. that was the, one of the underlying reasons why I wanted to get into health because I think that it's something that is a human right. It's often the case with health startup founders that there's some intersection with the health industry that sparks their desire to um, go into this industry and make things a little bit better. What does Eugene actually do for people? How does it work and what service does it sure. provide? Obviously, the why of why we started Eugene was to help improve diversity in the genetic data used in healthcare research. Yeah. We trace this back. There's a range of issues why this diversity gap exists, but one of the big ones is that access to services is relatively inaccessible. Uh, so that includes on four core, core fronts. So financial, intellectual accessibility of the information and emotional support and guidance and cultural sensitivity. So you're saying the average person has difficulty accessing genetic 
cravings yes. to make okay. quality and sure. better health choices. Yes. And so our product is guided genetic screenings to help people make smarter health choices. Okay. The entire experience is facilitated through the Eugene app. It's an at-home service. Uh, it's just a saliva test. And it's uh, in all of our products and all of our screenings are um, like clinically actionable and ethical. Your personal data doesn't get sold in the wrong place. Correct. But also beyond that, there is a whole range of genetic tests you can do online. Like, you know, they'll tell you if you can be a superhero. Uh, most of that stuff isn't actionable related to your healthcare or also like based on good science. So my co-founder, she's a genetic counselor, has been for like 10 years, the ethicist as well. And we basically only create products that have been clinically validated to a strong degree. And so given that you've just explained that the overwhelming amount of genetic data is from white Caucasian people, how do you then pull results for people who are not from that background? So let me, I guess, give you an example of uh, using our first product. So our first product is a pre-pregnancy checkup for partners to see if they're carrying any genetic diseases that they can pass on to their children, so carrier screening. Sure. If you look at the guidelines that are set up by a lot of the regulatory bodies, they look for very a very short list of conditions. Uh, these conditions primarily affect uh, Caucasians. What we're looking at is an expanded carrier screening service, which covers a much wider range of genetic diseases Good. that can Good. be passed on, and it covers much wider demographics as well. I can see straight away that there will be a lot of people in Australia and around the world that will be very interested in that. That's one of the big reasons why we're starting with this as our first product. So the conditions that we cover are, like, they're not like Alzheimer's or like, you know, it's not late onset. They're conditions that damage people when they're very young. Yes. This can be an incredibly helpful resource, we believe. And I believe that this is, in the long term, in the next five to ten years, this will be as common as taking folic acid before you're trying to get pregnant. It's our role to make this stuff accessible, easy to understand, add simplicity, warmth to a healthcare experience that generally lacks that. Can you mention one or two diseases that aren't normally included in genetic testing that are included in yours? So if you're a woman and you want to get pregnant, you and your husband can have the test. Is that how it works? Yes. And so you can find out if your child is at risk of developing this disease. Because there are certain diseases that are very prevalent in certain ethnic groups. I think Jewish groups have a higher level of a neurological disorder. Jewish community space access is really common. Uh, Afro-American. Uh, there's sickle cell disease. Uh, Greeks. Uh, Thalassemia. Yeah. So do you test for those sorts of things? Yes, exactly. People wouldn't even know that if they had an ordinary test in Australia that, that those things won't be tested for. Yeah, absolutely not. No one mentions wow. that. Wow, that's huge. Have you gone to the ethnic communities? One of the things that we're working on right now. So I should preface this by saying, like, our products are not technically live yet, and they won't be okay. until we get regulatory authority sure. to actually, like, okay. That's fine. Uh, have these services That's online. That's fine. I like to say that beforehand. But you will change the industry when once different ethnic communities realize that if they have a standard genetic test, they're not going to find out whether they're liable to give their child the disease that is, is prevalent in their particular community. You change the whole industry. We hope so. Because if you have a child that um, has a serious disability, you thought you'd gone to a standard genetic testing company and you thought you'd had the right tests, you presumed that they tested for this disease and it turned out they hadn't because their test uh, database is basically just skewed towards uh, Caucasians. They didn't test for Greeks or Jews. Wow. It's a big issue for mums and for families. Absolutely. It's a big issue for societies because this has direct impact on final health outcomes. And it's been really interesting for you to explain all of that because that wasn't clear on your website. Yeah, that's true. Because we're not a live service yet, you can't expect that when we will have a live service, um, we'll have a lot more information online to help 
people understand all of these things. A big role for us to play is to uh, interface between this really complex subject of genetics so that more people can engage with their genetics in a much more thoughtful and meaningful way than they currently do. Well, I think one in four people in Australia were born overseas, and I know we have the second biggest Greek population in the world outside of Greece, so there's a huge non-Caucasian group of people in Australia who would be enormously interested in this product. To be honest, there's, we've got precedent of this product actually being pretty well embedded in society. If you can look at Israel and the Jewish community, both here and abroad, there are rabbis in the US and New York that will not marry you unless you've had karyo screening. Whatever the results are, sure. that's not relevant. It's about having the information so you can choices for yeah. yourself that are more considered. Israel actually has 60 to 70,000 karyo screenings happening every year, okay. and it's a country of 8 million people. We've seen how this has become really embedded in society, and I think that as we move forward, we'll have to play a role in making sure that this sort of technology disseminates to everyone and not just privileged few. Okay, so when is your product going to come live? I uh, can't put a precise date on it, but early next year. Well, I mean, we're at the end of 2017. So it's soon. Well, we've been working on it on this for a while, so looking forward to having it live. Yeah. Have you spoken to anybody in different ethnic communities about with screening and got their feedback. So the way that we're starting to engage communities is by actually being part of the community. So I'm ethnically Indian, so I engage the Indian community. I had a big challenge with uh, engaging uh, local communities and ethnic communities with healthcare, and one of the biggest reasons why the healthcare industry has had such a hard time actually doing it is because there is a severe lack of trust. And that lack of trust, there is reason, many reasons for it. What are some of the reasons as a matter of interest? The healthcare industry has for a long time marginalized ethnic groups. Uh, we can look at how the indigenous populations have been treated here by the government, by the healthcare industry, by, by pretty much most institutional organizations that exist in Australia. So it's not surprising when they have a great degree of mistrust and the way that we see we can bridge this gap is not by going in and telling them what's good for them, is actually by going to communities that we're already members of and engaging with them. And that helps us put together a blueprint. Like, I should not be engaging the Greek community. I should be engaging sure. the Indian okay, community. Okay, so you'll, you'll contact people from those communities and get them to go out and talk to people and explain things. I can go and talk to an Indian family and I know exactly what words to never say because it will trigger specific reactions that most people wouldn't actually know that like that would be a thing. Yeah. There is a cultural barrier sure. that needs to be overcome because this is incredibly personal to most people. Having a family is a very personal yes. choice. And so we need to make sure that we're engaging with them in a way that they connect and resonate with. I know what I can say to them that's going to actually like help bridge this gap. But I, I know that for Indian communities. I won't know that for Arab communities. I won't know that with indigenous communities or with Jewish communities. Sure. My co-founder is Jewish. So basically, okay. like, we're working towards like, sure. engaging local communities in that way. And as we, as we grow, we'll engage other communities by actually having people be the advocates and champions of those communities. Yeah. So you're pulling together your science background about statistics, really, and analysis. I mean, science, science is yeah. about logic ultimately, and then your multicultural background, and then because it's personal, and when people get involved in a health startup, it's, there's usually a personal trigger, your dad dying at a young age, um, and now you're bringing all of your skills to uh, produce an incredibly relevant product for everybody. This is a product that like adds uh, affordability, intellectual accessibility, and emotional support, and cultural sensitivity. I noticed on your blog a little bit of a shot at 
people being a bit shallow about genetics and treating it as though it's a bit of a toy. And, um, and your point was things are complicated, and they are complicated. Yes. So it sounds as though you've got a fairly sensible philosophy underneath all of the science. Thank you. <laughs> the future, where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah, great question. From a perspective of the product, we see ourselves in the minds and pockets of people everywhere, both here and abroad. We really want to help people everywhere engage with their genetics in a much more thoughtful, meaningful way and a much more ethical way. We see the importance that genetics is going to play in health in the future, and we want to help everyone engage with that. That's that's where we see ourselves uh, from a product standpoint. From a research standpoint, well, we want to help reduce the diversity gap in healthcare research. Uh, this is not something that we can take on alone, obviously. This is a huge global problem. I hold no illusions. <laughs> the role that I, that I can see us play is to be a catalyst. So yes, we can use our data to advance research, but we can use use our data and our position to also build coalitions with both like private and public to help advance this global issue together because really no one can do this alone um, which leads me to my final place in terms of the role that we can play in a from a public standpoint because we are helping communities and individuals and people engage with their genetics, we can also play a role in advancing the public discourse around how these technologies are applied and regulated over the next decade or two. Because this stuff affects us in such personal ways, we need to be able to engage with governments, with uh, regulatory bodies, and as people in a way that can move the discussion forward so that we can make good and ethical choices, not just for ourselves, but for all of society. Yeah, we hope to play a role in helping advance that discussion. Well, Kanal, thank you very much for talking to Wiki Hospitals. We really enjoyed your very interesting comments, and this sounds like a wonderful product. Um, I look forward to this coming out next year. Please let us, let us know when it's being launched. Yeah, will do. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you.